Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for this time of year. We thank You for a time of year where we can especially remember Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we do this throughout the year. We lift up Your Son's name. But this time of year, Palm Sunday, approaching Easter, Lord, we especially want to lift up the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. As Jesus entered into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, Father, we want to experience Him right here, right now at Coast Bible Church. We want Him to walk into our, our place. We want, we want to lay down our, our clothes and our, our branches underneath His feet. And we want Him to come and instruct us and show us the way to live. And so God, I pray that this Easter season that we would especially return to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we would especially experience Him again for the first time. And that He would have a vivid and vibrant life in us, in we who believe in Him for everlasting life. Lord, bless our time in Your Word today and bless this season of the year as we approach the celebration of Your Son's resurrection. In His name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You know, when my son was, uh, when he was a, a little guy, uh, he would just, he loved the garbage man. I think I've mentioned this before, but he loved, 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 loved the garbage man. And it was kind of like me when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, I thought the garbage man was pretty amazing. And so my son's following in his father's footsteps, thinking highly of the garbage man. So, you know, the garbage man, you know, he knows what his purpose is, right? He gets, he gets in the truck and he starts doing his route. And his entire purpose is to go from house to house to house and pick up the trash. I mean, that is his ultimate purpose in, in that day. It's to go out and to pick up the trash, to take it to the dump, and so that everything can be clean. That's his ultimate purpose. But what the garbage man that my son would always watch day in and day out... Uh, when he was younger, that, what that garbage man did not realize is despite his ultimate purpose to carry the trash away into the dump, despite that ultimate role that he had, he was also having a very significant and real present effect on my son's very countenance. As he would drive around, we would hear him in the house and we'd be like, Bennett, the garbage man's coming. And my son's eyes would perk up and he would run over to the window and he would look outside and he would watch this garbage man and this garbage uh, truck drive on by. And what the garbage man didn't realize all this time as he's picking up our trash is that he was lifting up the very spirit of my son every single day he drove by. Today is Palm Sunday. And when Jesus, when He came to Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago, riding on a donkey, His ultimate purpose was to take out the trash. His ultimate purpose was to get rid of sin, to get rid of death, to give eternal life to all who would believe in Him for it. That was His eternal purpose in coming in to Jerusalem that day, Palm Sunday, some 2,000 years ago. 
And like the garbage man who took the trash out and knew about his purpose in doing so, Jesus knew about his purpose in taking away the trash of sin and death. But unlike the garbage man who did not realize that the present blessings that he was bestowing upon my son was just lifting my son's spirits and lifting his countenance every single day. The garbage man had no idea that as he was doing his route, he was lifting up, he was giving present blessing upon my son every day he came. Unlike the garbage man, Jesus Christ also knew that as he was walking into town, as he was strolling into Jerusalem, he was bringing with him very real and very present blessings to you and to me. You see, when Jesus came, friends, and when he walked in Jerusalem and when he went to the cross, he not only secured our eternal destiny, which is what Paul's going to tell us in Romans 5 today, but so much more than that. He secured for us very real and very vivid present blessings. Blessings that you and I have right now and can experience right now in full because Jesus Christ lives in us in we who believe. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 12. Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 12. And today we are going to look at a message I've entitled Grace Has Entered New Life has come. Grace has entered. New life has come. And today we're going to see not just Jesus' ultimate purpose in strolling into Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago, but we're also going to see very real and very this-worldly benefits that you and I can take advantage of right now as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Would you all stand with me as we read today's Scripture? We're going to read from Romans 5, verses 12 to 21. And I'll read it, and then you may be seated. Let's let's, uh, take a look. Romans 5, verse 12 to 21. Paul says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift, the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, they will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Just as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered 
that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You may be seated. Let's take a look at verse 12 there in Romans 5. Paul says this, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now we might ask the question quite naturally, you know, who is, who is this man that Paul is speaking of, and what kind of death is he describing? Well, for uh, most of us who, who know the Scriptures, we, we know quite clearly that the man that, that Paul is speaking about is none other than Adam. In Adam, all have sinned. And that's Paul's point here in Romans 5.12. Through one man, Adam, sin has entered the world. And so on the one hand, Paul lays uh, the blame, if you will, of sin and death at the hands of Adam. He says this also in 1 Corinthians 15.22, where he writes, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made Alive. But then the second question comes to our minds, you know, what is what is the death that is involved here? What is this death that uh, that Paul is describing? Is this is this physical death? Is this spiritual death? I think we're going to find as we go through this passage today that Paul is actually going to use this term death uh, in really a, a double sense of the word, not only in Adam has physical death been brought to all humanity? We all die because of sin. We all physically die because of sin. But much more than that, and in addition to that, we also are born spiritually dead because of sin. We are born into a state of spiritual death, one that can only be remedied by faith in Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says through the one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, he means to suggest both physical death and also for those who choose not to believe in Jesus Christ, spiritual death as well. We are all in danger of death because of sin. Notice verse 13. For until the law, Paul writes, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, verse 13 is kind of a peculiar one. It kind of makes sense at the start, and then the second part, you can look at it and you go, what, what's going on here? At the, at the top, we see Paul write, for until the law, sin was in the world. That is to say, even before Moses... Even before the time of Moses and the the Mosaic Law, the Torah, if you will, even before that time, obviously sin was in the world. Adam and Eve. Abel killing, uh, Cain killing Abel. Sin was in the world. We see uh, the Tower of Babel. We see multiple instances of men and women sinning prior to the giving of the law. But the latter part of verse 13 is somewhat perplexing. It says, but sin is not imputed when there is not law. 
Sin is not imputed when there is not law. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word imputed here is actually, and this is a little bit technical, but bear with me. The word imputed in this verse is a little bit of a different Greek word than the other Greek word used for imputed earlier in the book of Romans. Uh, this Greek word is elogeo, and it means to, to charge to one's account or to keep a record of or to tally or to itemize, to keep a list, if you will. It is used only one other time in the New Testament, and it's found in the book of Philemon, where, where Paul writes this. He says, if he, and Paul's speaking now of, of Onesimus, this, this slave who had wronged Philemon by, by, by running away, he says, if Onesimus, this slave who has run away from you, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, Philemon, put it on my account. Charge it to me. Put it on my tally. Count it against me, Paul says. And so with this view of, of, the, of the word imputed or elogeo in Greek in mind, Paul's basically saying, look, people sinned before the time of Moses and the law even though their sins were not tallied up, if you will, and compared to an official law code like they are today. Sin was not counted. It was not tallied up against a a codified law prior to the, the time of Moses. It was not itemized. Nevertheless, sin was present. Sin was in the world. And earlier in, in Romans chapter 2, Paul spoke of, of uh, even the Gentiles who do not even know of the law, have a law written on their hearts. And so basically, Paul's ultimate point here, in the end, is not to say that, that, that sin doesn't matter. It's not what he's saying in, in verse 13. Paul's point is to say, look, sin has always been, even before the time of Moses. It's always been, even though you couldn't tally it up, and compare it to a codified law. That's Paul's point in verse 13. That's where he's going with that statement. Despite the fact that sin was not itemized, that it was not measured against a codified law of God, Paul says, nevertheless, in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. The wages of sin is death. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they and their descendants died. And Paul speaks of this death. He speaks of it in unusual terms. He says, death reigned. Zane Hodges writes this in response to to this phrase. He says, The statement that death reigned should not be taken as merely a colorful way to indicate that men died. Instead, Paul is implying that death exercised a tyranny, a tyranny over humanity by which man was somehow enslaved. Paul's point here in verse 14, friends, is that when death came into the world through sin, it enslaved men to it. Men were enslaved to sin. They were overtaken by it. They were consumed by it. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. 
We're going to see more about this concept of death here very shortly in Romans 5. So hang tight on that. But look back again at verse 14. It says this at the end, Adam who is a type of him who was to come. Now how is Adam a type of, of, of him who was to come, who is Jesus? Does Paul mean to say that Adam is a, is a model of Jesus? No, probably not, based on what he's just said. And so in what sense, we're asking the question, in what sense is Adam a type of Jesus Christ? What, what, what would that possibly mean? Well, in the next verses, Paul is going to bear that out. Notice verse 15, he says this, But the free gift, now we're, now we're changing subjects here, we're moving from sin and death to now the person of Christ. Grace has entered, friends. Look at this. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Now, I think we can all agree that uh, whether you're a, a believer or whether you're an unbeliever, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, uh, regardless of who you are, I think you can agree that Jesus Christ has had a significant effect on human history. He's had a significant effect on human history. Uh, even those who, who don't accept the Christian faith as true cannot deny that the person of Jesus has had tremendous influence in, in, in philosophy, in, in ethics, in religion. Likewise, Paul says, Adam has also had a significant effect on human history. His conduct continues to have great implications on humanity to this day. And it is in this sense that Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. Paul said in verse 14 that Adam is a type of him who was to come. And by that, Paul means that Adam is very much like Jesus in the sense that he has had overwhelming and universal effect on mankind. He has had an overwhelming and universal effect on mankind. Of course, Jesus' effect on mankind has been vastly superior to Adam's effect on mankind. And that's the point of, Jesus, of Paul's words in Romans verse, uh, 5, verse 15. He says, look, Adam's sin has brought death to all. Adam's sin has brought physical death to all and spiritual death to all who do not believe in Christ. And many will experience that eternal death as they continue in the sin of Adam. But the effect of Jesus Christ, the effect of Jesus Christ's life on humanity, His conduct, what He did 2,000 years ago, that effect on humanity, the free gift of eternal life is not like the offense of Adam. It is more powerful than Adam's legacy. Adam's sin brought death, but the grace of God can overpower Adam's legacy, his heritage. Much more, Paul writes, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Now that word abounded in verse 15 is significant there. We see there that Paul, Paul, Paul didn't need to add in that, that, that descriptive word there, abounded. He could have simply said that the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, came to all. Instead, he uses the term abounded. And in this, Paul's giving a hint 
of where he's headed in, in this text this morning. Paul is speaking not just merely of eternal life in the sense of something that you and I are going to have when this life is over. No, Paul is hinting at an abundance of life. He is hinting at a quality of life that is not just waiting for us in the future, but that is right here, right now, available to us in abundance. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In the verses that follow, in our English translations in Romans, uh, our English translations will give us the impression that Paul is only speaking of future benefit, of benefit in eternity that we have in Christ. But as we will soon see, Paul's argument implies so much more than just future benefits. He is also hinting at the very real and the very present benefits that we have now that grace has entered. Now that Jesus Christ has come. Let's see some of those benefits beginning in verse 16 of Romans 5. Paul writes this, verse 16. He says, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Now again, I said just, just shortly earlier here, it's easy to read verse 16 in our English Bibles and to assume that they refer strictly to, let's say, eternal condemnation and justification meaning in the future only eternal life. But this is one of the few instances in Scripture, and I, I want to emphasize few, because I, I, I don't often like to suggest that our English translation is not bringing out the full sense. That, that usually would only cause us to lose confidence in our Bibles. And I don't mean for us to do that. But in the Greek, in the Greek in verse 16, as you look at it from the Greek, it is clear that Paul's not just referring to the future. He's referring to the present. How do we know that? Take a look at the word Condemnation. Notice the word condemnation in verse 16. Now we are naturally quick to assume that that word condemnation, boy, it sounds heavy. And it is. It sounds, and also sounds eternal, doesn't it? It sounds like, it sounds like going to hell. Uh, and, and, Paul, it, and Paul is most certainly using it in that sense, but not only in that sense. How do we know that? Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Notice this verse. Paul says, therefore... Uh, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now notice that verse carefully. Notice the caveat. Notice the contingency upon which there is no condemnation. The condition for receiving no condemnation, according to Romans 8.1, is not... Believing in Jesus Christ. Well, that is part of it. That's not what Paul says. The condition, according to Romans 8.1, for saying you will not receive condemnation is not merely believing in Jesus Christ, but Paul goes on to say to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Well, 
keep in mind, this, this verse, Romans 8, 1, comes after a whole lengthy section in Romans 7. Many of you know it. Where Paul is just so upset about sin. He is agonizing over his sin. He is agonizing over this, this sin and, and this struggle between flesh and spirit. And you, you know what I'm talking about. Christians, you know what I'm talking about. You've been saved. You've been sanctified by the Spirit of God. And yet every day you struggle with sin. And so do I. And there's this conflict. There's this, there's this push between the flesh and the spirit. And there, it's butting heads every single day. And that's Paul, what Paul's talking about at the end of Romans 7. And as he concludes that, that, that struggle, that day-in and day-out struggle, he concludes with these words. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. What does Paul mean? He's not merely talking about eternal condemnation here, friends. The context in Romans 8.1 absolutely does not require that. What he's talking about is, look, in the here and now, in this present life, if you are walking in the Spirit, if you are relying on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are looking at the person of Christ, there is no condemnation to those who are doing just that. There is no feeling of, I can't handle this, to those who are looking at Christ. When you and I are looking at the person of Christ, our spirit, our countenance is lifted up. When we are looking at the person of Christ, there is no more condemnation in our hearts that says, I can't, I can't, I can't get through this. When we're looking at the person of Christ, we see someone who has overcome everything. And when we are looking at Him, The Spirit of God reminds our spirit that we can overcome all things through Christ who strengthens us. The condemnation in Romans 8.1 is not just eternal. It's this, this world. It's an earthly experience of having no condemnation when we're looking and striving with the person of Jesus Christ. And the same is true, friends, in Romans 5 verse 16. He only uses this term condemnation three times in the book of Romans. And each time he's referring to it not merely in in an eternal sense, but also in a very this-worldly kind of sense. Paul says, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Not just eternal, but in this agony as we fight sin, as death reigns in this world. But the free gift which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. This verse, uh, Paul says we can have victory in the Spirit. Victory right now. And in fact, right when he leaves chapter 5, when we're done with chapter 5, it's exactly what he's going to go on to talk about. He's not... He's not Merely discussing our eternal destiny here. Paul is saying, I want you to live victoriously now. I want you to have no condemnation now. And you have that in Jesus Christ. Christian, walk in the Spirit and you will have no condemnation. You will experience a quality of life that is victorious. 
that puts aside anxiety, that puts aside worry. Look at Christ and live as you're looking at Him. As condemnation in verse 16 is not limited to eternal condemnation, and in fact probably more likely refers to kind of an earthly wasting away, so also justification in verse 16 is more than simply the hope of eternal life that we have by faith in Jesus. In fact, the word justification in verse 16 in the bottom right there, that word is not the same word used for justification elsewhere in Romans. Paul uses a different word there. And the word there is, uh, excuse me, the word there is uh, dikaioma. And dikaioma is different than the word used for justification elsewhere in Romans. It does not mean the state of being made righteous. It actually means going on to produce righteousness. It actually means going on to produce righteous deeds. And so Paul's saying, look, walk in the Spirit and you will not have condemnation. Instead, you will be made more like Jesus Christ. You will be walking in the Spirit of God and you will be exercising, you will be carrying out dikaioma, righteous deeds. The judgment which came from Adam's sin resulted in a penalty of enslavement to sin and wasting away. But the free gift of Jesus that has come to us in spite of our sins has resulted in giving us abundant life, enabling us to walk in the Spirit and become righteous people in light of our righteous standing before God. We've tried to demonstrate now in verse 16 that Paul is not just focused on eternity, but on this present life. And while it is a bit difficult to see in our, in our English translations of verse 16, the three verses that follow make a whole lot of sense of what we've just said about verse 16. Notice verse 17 to 19. It says this. Paul says, But God be thanked that though... Excuse me, I'm looking at the next chapter. Verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act... The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now notice the the color coding here. I've tried to color it for you a little bit. Red and green, right? In In red, we have all of the consequences the consequences that have come from our sin and from the sin of Adam. We have the consequence that death death has reigned. We have the consequence that there's judgment, that that judgment is carried out in condemnation, that we've been made sinners. These are the consequences of the sin of Adam and of us participating in that sin. And in green, we have all the blessings, the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. We have reigning in life. We have justification of life. We have the ability to be made righteous. And notice at the heart of the consequences, notice again the the word that's at the heart of the consequences. In red again, in bold, we have the word condemnation. Now, if this word 
follows the pattern Paul has set for it in Romans 8, verse 1, then we should again take this word to mean a very this-worldly kind of penalty. A very this-worldly kind of condemnation. One when we have our eyes off of Christ. One when unbelievers are not looking upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, Adam's sin has brought forth the, the judgment of eternal condemnation to those who reject the Lord. But more than that, it has ushered in the very present wrath of God. A present condemnation that bears itself out as an enslavement to sin that causes us to do bad things, bad deeds. And so Paul says the power of death, the power of death has reigned until the time of Jesus Christ. But now Jesus has entered through the gates. Jesus has come and those who receive Him, those who receive, uh, those who receive Jesus in faith, they receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness and will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now this, this reigning with Christ certainly applies to our future. And Paul means to to say it in that sense. But more than that, every Christian will experience the reign of Christ in the here and now when they're looking upon the person of Jesus Christ. In all of this, uh, we we, we might say that that, the French use the phrase uh, uh, double entendre, which is in English double entendre. Paul is using his words in the Greek to give this double entendre. He's using figures of speech and he's using words that not only have an eternal significance when you read them, but have a very this-worldly experience. Have a very this-worldly application, I should say. Notice verse 19. Paul says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. The making of sinners there, friends, is a very this-worldly kind of experience. Paul isn't speaking of something in the future. He's not speaking of something in eternity. No, verse 19 is very clearly something in the here and now. Because of one man's disobedience, many have been made sinners. You and I, we are sinners. And by many, Paul means to say all there. He's just using the term many as a figure of speech. But really, all of us have been made sinners. In this life, because of what Adam has done. In contrast to this, Paul offers a a greater present blessing that believers have by the power of Jesus Christ. That by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And here again, we have a phrase that is used with a double entendre. On the one hand, many will be made righteous in the sense that when Jesus died and when we believe in Him, we are justified. We are made right with God. We, are, we become a child of God and we have, the, we have the capacity now to enter into the kingdom of God as His children by faith. But more than that, Paul's going deeper than that. As he was talking about the making of sinners in this life, at the start of verse 19, so also he is also speaking of the making of righteous people in this life to those who are looking upon the person of Jesus Christ. More powerful than Satan's ability to change us into sinners is God's power to make us into righteous people. What Satan did 
in luring Adam and Eve and causing us to become present sinners, God, so much greater, is able to overcome that. To overcome that power and to make us righteous. Not just for eternity. Not just forensically. But by the Spirit of God in us to make us righteous people as we strive in the Spirit of God. And notice verse 18. Paul, as we back up to verse 18 again, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And here again, Paul uses the phrase justification of life in a very different sense than he would have used elsewhere. If he was speaking of justification simply in the eternal sense, he would have used a different word than than the word he used in Greek here. But instead, Paul is speaking in a double entendre sort of way. Not only, not only through the sin of Adam have all men been physically condemned to death and in danger of eternal death, but also all men, as they take their eyes off the person of Christ, live in a state of agony and wasting away and a life that is totally Lacking victory. So also, Jesus has come and He has offered us justification by faith in Him. But not just an eternal kind of justification, but a justification of life. One that we experience in the here and now. That's why in Romans 5 verse 1, Paul says, now that we've been justified, we have peace. We have hope. We have joy. We can share in the glory. These blessings, they're not just there. They're here. They're right now. And when Paul gets to Romans 6, he's going to tell all of us exactly how to experience them now. Exactly how to take hold of these eternal blessings in the here and now. We close with verse 20 and 21. Paul writes this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much, much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, again, as he's done before, look, the law, it was designed to show us the depth of our sin. And indeed, the law has demonstrated the the, the greatness of our sin. But greater than that, grace has entered in. Jesus has walked into the city. And new life has come. Paul uses the phrase, he says, Jesus has come that grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that mean? Up until this point, I imagine uh, some of you are reading this text and you're thinking, uh, I don't, I, this is difficult to understand. I don't understand that, it's, that Paul's speaking both of a future benefit and also of a this-worldly benefit. Maybe you don't understand this, this whole idea of kind of a double meaning, a double entendre with each of these phrases and words that he's using in Greek. If that's you, verse 21 sums it up in full. 
Paul says, grace, that Jesus came, that grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does he mean by that? I'll paraphrase in this way. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. Jesus came that grace might reign, how? Notice this. Through our present righteousness that is ours, if we live in Him and walk in the Spirit, continue, a righteousness that epitomizes the eternal life we possess forever by faith. Friends, this is what Paul is driving at. This is what he is getting at in the end of Romans 5. He's saying, look, we have eternal life. It's there in our future. It is ours. We possess it. But what he wants every single one of us to get, and what he's going to talk about in Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 8, is he's saying, look, Christians, don't just wait for it over there. Don't just wait for the blessings of eternal life on the other side of this life. No, Jesus came that grace might reign. Not then, now. How will grace reign now? Through our present righteousness. As Christians, as men and women, children of God, as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, as we collectively live in Him, walk in the Spirit, keep our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ, as we do that collectively, grace is reigning. And when you and I are not doing that, when we are not living in the righteous calling that God has called us to, then grace is not reigning. When the church is doing what it is supposed to be doing, when the people of the church are striving with the person of Christ and the Spirit of God, grace is reigning over us. And people look at us and say, what's different about you? But when that righteousness doesn't exist, and when nothing distinguishes us from the world, when people look at us and say, yeah, I don't really see anything different about you, so why should I bother converting to Christianity? Then grace isn't reigning. Jesus came that grace might reign. And how will it reign? It will reign when you and I are looking at the person of Christ becoming righteous. Not just experiencing a forensic righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, but experiencing righteousness in full. A righteousness that epitomizes, that fully typifies what we will experience when this life is over and when we are face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. A righteousness that epitomizes the eternal life we will possess forever by faith. When Jesus entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, He he entered with the ultimate purpose of going to the cross and dying that we might have eternal life. Equally so, as He was walking over the palm branches that day, He was bringing present blessing to all around Him. They were recognizing 
that in Him is not only eternal life in the hereafter, but in Him is victorious life in the here and now. Grace has entered. New life has come. And the blessings that we see in Romans 5, they are not relegated simply to the future. They are meant for you and I to grab hold of right here and right now. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know, as Paul concludes, that You, Your Son came that grace might reign. And God, we are confident that that purpose of Jesus in coming is not limited to when this life is over. That purpose that grace might reign right here, right now, it's not limited, Lord, we know, to the life hereafter. We know, Lord, that You want us to experience that now. We want You... You want us, Father, to experience the reign of grace in our lives and in the life of this church. And You want others to look upon our lives and to see this church and to see Christians around the world exuding this reigning grace. God, help us. Help us to be righteous. We know we are righteous by faith, Lord, but we, know, we also know that You wish us to be righteous as we strive with Your Spirit, as we look upon Your Son for victory. Help us, Father, to not only be righteous in a forensic sense, but righteous in a very real and present sense as we strive with Your Spirit in us. Help us, Father, to bring about the reign of grace in this life, in the here and now. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.